And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow Americans, welcome back to the Inspired Service Podcast. I'm Noah Scheinbaum. I'm excited to welcome my co-founder of the U.S. Civilian Corps, Sammy Simwangu, as a co-host to this program. Sammy is joining us today for a follow-on conversation to our last episode, when we spoke with Shannon Sarton about the work that she is doing with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services through the U.S. Digital Service. In the wake of last week's Blue Button Developer Conference in Washington, D.C., a gathering that brings together technologists to talk about the different uses of data to improve healthcare, we're speaking with the product owner of one of the most exciting new projects in the healthcare space. Our guest today is Ms. Amy Gleason, and we're going to be talking about the Data at the Point of Care initiative. Amy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Amy, I want to start talking about the motivations behind why you do what you do. You, for a long time, had been a nurse. And as someone who has a mother who's a nurse, I know that they are the most caring and most dedicated people around, and we're all lucky to have nurses in our lives. What led you into that career in the first place? Well, I think I've always grown up around healthcare. My father was a hospital administrator, actually, and then, you know, had some personal experiences as a child with my grandmother getting ill, having a stroke. And having not the greatest outcome and and knew that I wanted to do something in healthcare. So as you said, I started out in nursing briefly and then I ended up moving into the electronic medical record field pretty early on in 1996, joined a startup company in Nashville with having no real technology background or computer background, but having some clinical experience and knowledge and they really showed me how much technology could have an impact on improving healthcare. And I was hooked the minute I joined that group and really got to see some of the power of how they could make lives easier for clinicians and improve safety and quality for patients. It's interesting that you quickly moved from someone who was working with electronic medical records and implementing electronic medical records to actually building an electronic medical records (laughs) system. Why wasn't what what was there good enough? Why did you have to get, get on the build side? (laughs) <laughs> it's actually kind of a funny story. So the way that they sold me on coming to work at this electronic medical record startup was they showed me that the pieces of paper that we filled out for pathology requests every day for all the different samples, we would have to write the name and address and insurance and date of birth and gender and all this information over and over and over and over for every patient that had surgery that day. And they showed me that you could enter that into the computer one time and hit a print button. (laughs) So ironically, it was actually the print button that got me really excited about working in the space because that would save nurses hundreds of hours in a week um, and a lot of frustration and a lot of bad handwriting. Very cool. Can you speak a little bit about how your personal experiences led from working at the EMR company to founding CareSync? Sure. So I actually worked for a few different electronic medical record systems. My daughter, who was then 11 years old, was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease called juvenile dermatomyositis. She quickly went from being a competitive gymnast and cheerleader to not being able to stand up off the floor or walk up the stairs. 
and ended up going from having you know pretty healthy life and a single pediatrician to 12 different doctors across six health systems and three different states. None of these doctors talked to each other or shared any information and every visit started with, so tell me what happened since the last time we saw you. So I realized two things quickly after she was diagnosed. First, if we had had that tool for doctors to be able to see all the other information that was going on with other providers, that she probably would have been diagnosed about a year earlier and avoided a lot of damage to her body just because somebody would have said, why is this 11-year-old girl going to the doctor every week? And secondly, it was really, really challenging to be a patient and a family caregiver in the healthcare system, much harder than I ever imagined it could be. I always knew it was difficult for patients and there were challenges, but it's much different when you suddenly are faced with them yourself. And especially, I think, for your child, because you, you know everybody wants the best for their children. And you'll often go to links for your children that you would not even do for yourself. And so that's what really led to me co-founding CareSync originally just to, to, to give patients access to their information. So we gathered medical records, summarized them, gave them access, and then the ability to share them with their family members, their doctors, and anyone else that they wanted to. One of the most powerful things was in the beginning when my daughter was diagnosed, I kind of bore all the burden to take her to all the doctor's visits because she had such a complicated history and so many things were changing. They, even her father was somewhat intimidated and challenged to take her to the doctor because he was afraid he would have missed some kind of information or not give the right thing. Or I was worried probably more than him being worried that he wouldn't tell me all the information after the visit and I would miss something. And so one of the biggest success stories early on in CareSync was when I could rely on my husband who wanted to help and my parents who wanted to help to be able to take her to doctor's visits and help out with her care. And then we ended up growing that company to providing other support services for patients like care coordination, um, helping patients find cheaper medications or discounts on their medications, making appointments for them because just that process is so challenging, um, and finding other community resources that are often available that patients don't often know about. The idea of giving patients control over their own information sounds like almost a no-brainer, and yet it was really hard and, and took a lot of time and actual technological innovation to get there. Do you think your experience with, with CareSync has any relevance or application to how we think about consumer control of data on platforms like Facebook or Twitter today? <laughs> um, yeah, so first of all, I believe that consumers should have complete control over their um, health information over their way that they would like to receive care. And also, it's very important, I think, for patients, at least the ones who want to, to be able to connect to other patients who have similar challenges that they do. Um, the very first day Morgan was diagnosed, we found a nonprofit that was looking for a cure for her disease. And I was able to speak to a parent who had a child with this disease the same exact day she was diagnosed who gave me a world expert in this very rare disease that only has about 2,000 kids in the U.S. She gave me her name, number, and email address, and I was actually able to email that doctor that same day she was diagnosed, who responded to me on a Friday night at 9 o'clock and gave me a whole lot of information that set our course forward. So I, I think it's really important for patients to have their information. I think it's also very important for providers to have their information because sometimes patients do not 
want to carry all their information from visit to visit or be responsible for making sure every doctor has every piece of information, but they do want to know who's having access to their information and have some ability to change that. We're going to talk a bit more about your efforts to make sure patients and providers have their information, but I'd be remiss to not ask you, what enabled you to not only fight for your daughter, but to actually say, I'm going to go a step further and work on something to make sure that fewer people have to deal with what I've dealt with in the future? That's a good question. I think part of that's probably just my personality. I like to try to find solutions to problems and I like to help other people. And so the natural culmination of the ability that I have to drive some of those things, I try to make sure that I, I can make a difference wherever I can. I think also when you experience the level of challenge, frustration, and difficulty that I have experienced with Morgan and also other family members that have had health issues, I feel like it's also an obligation to do something if you can um, to make it better. I have a unique background coming from starting out in nursing, working in electronic medical records, and having some technology background that if I had so many trouble trying to navigate the care system with my daughter, then how could anyone that doesn't have that background ever possibly be expected to figure all this out and to make a difference? Amy, you mentioned in uh, one of your interviews about CareSync, about, about basically the uptake, that individuals who knew they needed you know, this type of product, this type of service, you know, used it, but those who were pretty healthy did not. <laughs> is that something that, is that a trend you see holding, holding true in both the private sector and the public? Yeah, so I think a lot of people may even know that they should probably have a copy of their medical information, but a lot of people really trust that their doctors have the information that's needed to take care of them and don't really um, know that they should have such a role in that until they have some kind of a crisis medical situation and they realize that not only do their doctors often not have the information that they need to have to treat you effectively, but also there are a lot of errors that happen. And if you don't inject yourself in those situations, you can't correct those errors and make sure that that you're getting the care you need. Um, As a simple example, my daughter, one of her first visits after she was diagnosed, the doctor accidentally marked a checkbox in the electronic medical record on an order form for an MRI that she had diabetes. And she didn't have diabetes. But you know, it seems like it's an impossible task to get your information to share from doctor to doctor, but it doesn't seem like an impossible task. Once there's an error, it seems to go everywhere. <laughs> and so all of a sudden at different doctor's visits, they started asking Morgan about her blood sugar. And of course, as an 11 year old that was not diabetic, she had no idea what her blood sugar was. And they kept asking her. And finally, we realized it was because this diabetes diagnosis had transferred from one provider to another, and they kept thinking she was diabetic. And so we had to go and figure out the source of it and get it corrected and then correct the whole chain of reaction down the path. And so I think once patients see that there's a need for them to be involved, then they get involved. But until they see that need, maybe they don't tend to get involved. And I think as part of that, we have to make it easy for patients to do all of that. You can't expect it to be someone who does have a technology background to get involved and use their information. It has to be very, very simple and easy to use. 
because you'll lose patience if it's difficult or confusing. So do you see it as both on the functional side, making it simple, but also an educational push to perhaps get people to see the, the benefits of engaging their medical rec or the medical history before, you know, something potentially calamitous occurs? Yes. So I, I think there's several different pieces of that. I think first we really need to make sure that providers have access to the information that they need to treat patients um, because they're the ones that need it the most. Um, secondly, but just as equally important, patients need to be able to have access to the information if they're ready to get access to that and it should be easy for them to get. And then we need to figure out how to include those together. Maybe the providers can help educate patients as they see them. You know, we found often if the provider would say, did you know that you can access your information online? Did you know that you can connect apps to this? Did you know that there are apps where you can track your pain um, and, and monitor your health information? And that really helps me if you bring that to your record um, or to your visits. Um, did you know that there are tools to help you plan for a visit ahead of the visit? And by the provider using specific use cases of how it can help patients and not just pointing them to a patient portal website or something like that, that's what really drives patients to take action is when they see a real benefit to them at that moment in time. And often they do trust their doctor to give them that information and to help um, guide them through that process. It doesn't have to just be doctors, but I do think there is an educational component and it can come from many places. Amy, with, with so much left to do and clearly so much growth potential for CareSync as a business and as a tool for, for patients, why did you leave? Why did you decide that it was time to, to go into the public sector to address these problems? I really was looking at my next steps of trying to figure out what to do. I had worked, you know, in the provider side, I'd worked in the hospital side, I'd worked in radiology systems, I'd worked with surgery systems, I'd worked from the patient side. And, um, you know, throughout this 20 year plus journey, we still are facing many of the same problems that I found when I first started working with these systems back in 1996. While there has been some progress, there hasn't been enough progress. And so I felt like this was a unique opportunity to come to the government where CMS is being innovative and they are pushing and driving standards um, and changes of behavior. And I could have the opportunity to use all of that experience that I had in the private sector to come and help drive solutions to the government. Um, and for such a huge market of people, there aren't many chances in your career to do something that can affect 53 million beneficiaries with one project and all of Americans with the change that that drives. I also think U.S. Digital Service is a little bit of a unique environment in government where it's um, a lot of people who are inspired to come and do this mission but have a lot of this background and experience like I do and they come and bring that experience to help drive that change in government as well. Let's talk about one of those solutions and one of those projects that you're working on, and that is the Data at the Point of Care pilot project that, that just launched. Tell us, what, what yes. is the pilot? Yeah, so this is a very exciting project. And in fact, it may be the most exciting project I've ever worked on in my career. So the idea of this project is that Providers who see patients in their office or in the hospital or in the emergency room or urgent care 
generate claims that they send into the insurance company or payer, in this case, Medicare, that details out everything that was done at that visit. So, for example, at the visit, you might have had that office visit recorded, you might have had an x-ray done in the office, maybe you got an immunization, a flu shot. And when they send that claim into the insurance company, it has all of those items detailed, as well as your health conditions that were um, recorded at that time. So this project is taking all of the data that all the providers submit to get payment and their claim, and turning that around and sharing that back with all the providers that are treating the patient. So if a provider has a treatment relationship with a patient, they can use an API to request that information from Medicare and say, can you please give me all the information about this patient? And actually with this project, you could do it for a list of patients. But so I can ask for, can you please give me all the information about all the patients that I'm treating? And then Medicare can turn around and say, here is all the information for your patients that you have permission to see their data. And so the use cases for that can be a brand new Medicare patient shows up to a, a provider they have no history so far. In today's world, that patient would have to try to remember all their medical history, all the doctors that they've seen, all the procedures they've had, all their medications. But with this project, instead, the provider can already populate their electronic medical record tool with all of that relevant history. And then they can just confirm that with the patient instead. Are you still taking these medications? Do you still have these diagnoses? It looks like your flu shot was in January. You know, and, and they can confirm that instead of having to do this memory test with the patient. So if I'm understanding it correctly, what this is effectively doing is removing the burden from each individual doctor or provider to say, you have to push your information to the next provider. Instead, you're rolling it up a level and saying all of that data is captured by the payer, which in this case is Medicare. And so we're going to go to Medicare for that information so that there's less risk or less kind of single point failure, we might say, at each individual office. Is that right? That is right. The only thing I would correct in that statement is we're not removing the requirement for providers to share information with other providers, yet we are filling in all of the different gaps that exist today with information that the payers do have. And one way that gives you a directory, then a record locator service of who you might need to reach out to to get other clinical information from provider to provider. But it also fills in the information for places you, you might not even know they had care. So it's, it's a partnership. I think it's filling in the information and then allowing further clinical information exchange to happen. Got it. So it's a it's an important redundancy and it's important searchlight. It, it'll show people where they ought to look to make sure they're getting complete data on a patient. So this sounds great. And as you said, maybe the most important or most impactful project you've worked on. Why why pilot? What why are we doing a pilot? Why don't we just roll this out not only to Medicare, but make it a company and, and offer it to any to or to all insurance providers? So one thing in, in modern technology and the way that U.S. Digital Service really pushes projects and does work is to do things iteratively. So we work with users and figure out what their problems are and how they might use different solutions and design with the user, not for the user. Then we build a, a pilot project, a small prototype, if you will, and we test that out and figure out what things we got right and what things we can make better. And we iteratively improve this over time. And so 
we're at the stage of this now where we've built something that we feel is meaningful and we're ready to test that. And we'll first test it with synthetic or, you know, fake data. And we'll test that with a few providers and learn from that experience. And then we'll roll those providers into a production environment with a limited set of their patients and test it there and make sure that that's working as needed and take any feedback that we need to do. And then we'll continue to grow that slowly as we um, roll that out so that we can make sure we learn from the experience and make it the best experience for people going forward. I totally appreciate that adoption of modern technology practices and the important reminder that just because something is a good idea doesn't mean it always works exactly as intended. And so the importance of testing and iterating and failing fast all matter in the government as well as in the private sector. Yes, exactly. Amy, what, what's the rough timeline for the, what you just laid out? July 30th, the website is up at dpc.cms.gov. And a provider can click the request access button on that page to request access into the pilot project. And then they would need to speak to their different vendors, probably their electronic medical record vendor or maybe another software vendor they use, and get them to look at the specifications that are on the site, read the documentation, and figure out how to start connecting into the synthetic data. And we'll work with a few of those providers, as I said, over the next month or two. And then in the September, October timeframe, we want to take some of those providers who have successfully tested and start testing in the production data for them in the September, October timeframe, and then slowly start rolling it out to a few more to continue the testing as we go through um, the end of the year. Was the genesis of this project, you know, a function of these providers asking for it or what got this pilot started? Well, I think CMS has been broadly evaluating how they can drive interoperability and improve patient care, as well as um, improve the provider experience by using data and sharing data. And so through a lot of um, conversations internally and externally with providers and patients, this is one of the the, um, projects that came up in the discussions and providers are definitely asking for the information. That's one thing that I was the most surprised about is I kind of grew up in the environment that clinical data is king, and if it doesn't come from an electronic medical record or a patient chart, then it's not really worthwhile. And so I might have previously kind of thought, oh, claims data isn't that valuable. But one thing I've really learned as I've talked to a lot of providers about claims data is, while it may not be perfect in every case, it's certainly much, much, much more valuable than having no data, which is what they have today. And it can definitely be a starting point to figure out, you know, a lot of information and maybe locations of other data. So providers, you know, one thing as I talk to them about potentially getting claims data and how that could be valuable, they would get so excited that often I would start getting emails every week from people asking if this was going to be a a project that CMS is going to do. Are they considering it? And they would really, really like to get access to that data. And so um, I don't think I've seen a project in my career that people have been so excited about getting claims data. So I really think it's going to have a huge impact. It's always nice to see your work validated and appreciated by a real demand signal. I wanted to ask you about the effort required to actually make this happen. Because the system that you're operating in and the world that you're working on in in CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the, the broader, the healthcare market writ large, is, is phenomenally complex. There's so many different stakeholders. When you get the government involved, even more so. 
what were the barriers that you all had to overcome to actually get permission or, or get the space to experiment with this type of pilot? Right. So I think one really important thing to mention is that this project is really building on the success of prior CMS projects. So the Blue Button 2.0 project that gives beneficiaries access to their claims data that launched last year, that project actually built the database and the infrastructure to be able to share the data with patients. And then there's another project, the Beneficiary Claims Database, which this is giving claims data to accountable care organizations. And so that's giving data to those organizations. And then this project is building on those two and now taking that same data and making it available to the healthcare providers for use at the point of care for the patients that they're treating. Without those prior projects, this project would have been an even more enormous project to build. But because of all of the prior work that had already been done by CMS, this project was a lot easier for us to get going. It started off with two of us at U.S. Digital Service, and then um, now I think our team has about seven people on it that we've kind of recruited to come in and help us get it across the finish line to get to a pilot. You know, it's easy to get people to come work on your project when there's such an important mission and they're so excited about the work. It's, it's interesting and important because not everywhere in the government can you recruit on a project basis, right? A lot of times you'll be in, you know, a, a fixed job and you're dealing with a portfolio for a period of time. Or, so the digital services ability to recruit on the, on the basis of project and, you know, stand up teams and stand them down is one of the unique things that set it apart and allow the, the USDS to access talent pools that others in the government may struggle to access. I agree. Um, it's definitely a very interesting environment and a lot of people come in with specific experience and they may not have, a, like when I came in, I really wanted to work on healthcare because that's, I, I saw an opportunity to drive forward all this hard work I had done before and make a difference in so many people. But a lot of people come in and they don't have a specific area that they want to work in, but they have a skill to contribute. And so it's a really great environment to be able to go to them and say, hey, could you even just come help me for a month with this one specific thing or to get people in full time? And so it is a really great environment that U.S. Digital Service has to be able to kind of flex and shrink those teams to to fit the need. Amy, how did you get involved in USDS after CareSync? Were you recruited or did you apply? Um, I actually spoke to Anish Chopra, the former CTO. He's the one that uh, recommended I apply. And um, after I applied, I went through the interview process and was excited to join last November. And how do you see your time in government? Do you envision as something you do for a few years and go back to the private sector? Or is this a, a, a new career for you? That's a really interesting question. I have to honestly say that I had not really ever considered working in the government before. Um, you know, I've been kind of curious watching different people that I respect do a tour in government, but I had never really seen myself taking that path. But now that I've been here and seen how many smart, passionate people there are working in government, I definitely would consider more work in the government, which I, like I said, wouldn't have considered before. Well, Amy, um, it's been it's been great hearing about your trajectory, about your different experiences, your motivations, and the, and the really cool stuff that you guys are building. And we look forward to seeing what it can do now that it is live. Before we let you go here, 
I would just ask if, if you have any final words for our listeners who maybe like yourself, never imagined that they might go into government service or might be pondering kind of a career change, any words of wisdom for them? Yes, I would say the government needs you and you should come and try to help your fellow citizens by making the government better. I think most people have skills that they can bring and make making the government better, but especially technology. The U.S. Digital Service is a great way to do it, but also these agencies such as CMS and HHS are always looking for talented people to come and help. So come and join us. Amy, on behalf of, of Sammy and myself, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today. Thank you so much for making the time to join us. Um, and for all that you have done on behalf of the country and that you continue to do, we're very grateful. So thank you. Thank you for having me. For more episodes of the Inspired Service Podcast, please visit us at www.inspiredservice.org and subscribe on iTunes.